Hey, Risto here from George Mason University. I'm here with Joran Jurden uh, from the Department of Sports Science at Linnaeus University in Sweden. Um, we're gonna be discussing a 2017 article uh, titled, It's Not Like You Are Less of a Man Just Because You Don't Play Rugby. Boys' Problematization of Gender During Secondary School Physical Education Lessons in New Zealand. Uh, the paper is published in Sport Education and Society. Uh, Joran, thanks so much for joining us to talk about your article. Yeah, thanks, Risto. It's great to be on here. So let's get started with just a little bit of a background leading up to the research. What what led you to study boys' responses to gender discourses, and uh, what got you into kind of like power relations in PE? Yeah, I guess uh, a lot of it comes back to my own experiences of PE some years ago and uh, and I, I already back then kind of thought lots about why why some some boys seem to like PE better than others and I was obviously one of those who who, who who loved having PE but I also could at times sort of relate to some of the boys and girls I guess who who for some reason ended up being pushed to the margins and you know I kind of like you, you sort of felt for them but at the same time you carried on and, and did your thing but there was always this kind of underlying um, uh, question in my head, like, you know, what is going on here? And, like, and But then it took some years and it took my undergraduate studies to, to kind of obviously learn about construction of gender and performances of gender and, and so on. And, and then later, when I um, came across Foucault's work early on in my doctoral studies, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of when that topic or that specific question uh, became... Uh, uh, important and, and yeah, interested, interesting for me to explore further. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, and it seems like based on your explanation of that, I, I can see how this paper really aligns with kind of your experience and how some of those boys that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what they said later, but you know, how that kind of aligns with your experiences growing up as well. And, you know, I think I, I could probably superimpose myself into one of those roles as well. And that was, you know, the person that just didn't realize, you know, I was, I was very different than how you kind of explained of you're very aware of people who didn't enjoy and enjoyed. I was just like going with the flow and, and I, and I know we'll kind of get to that, you know, privilege piece of not really being pushed in that way. But let me, let me go back to where I was supposed to go, which is talking about the New Zealand curriculum. And, um, you know, we, we had uh, Kirsten Petri on, uh, I think it's episode 95, she came on and talked about the podcast, or uh, on the podcast about the New Zealand curriculum. So that's a good place to start, but can you kind of give us a crash course on the structure of PE in New Zealand and, you know, how how teachers trained regarding gender and the sociocultural issues? Mm. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh... Like I think a lot of people are aware um, that in New Zealand, a bit like Australia and actually similar to Sweden, uh, we've got this socially critical curriculum, I guess. So, so there's an underlying um, uh, sort of yeah, underlying problematization, <laughs> said word again, um, of, of, you know, dominant sort of uh, constructions of, of physical activity, sport, bodies that sort of really underpinning everything that goes on in the name of health and PE. So in New Zealand, it's, you know, you got the health education and physical education components that are, that are, you know, integrated in one way, but at the same time you, you have 
health education sort of topics that you study sort of from a critical point of view. But then you also have the physical education component where you in movement through through physical education or physical practice, uh, you, you're also meant to kind of uh, problematize and, and, and students uh, are meant to sort of become aware of, of some of these um, inequities, I guess, that that um, that sort of that are in sport and health movement context. Right. Uh, and in terms of just second thing around teacher training, I guess uh, uh, there's there's a strong sort of um, connection with the sort of critical pedagogical work in New Zealand in, in the teacher education level as well, uh, where where a lot of the health and PE uh, teacher training has that sort of critical orientation too. So for sort of from the get go when you start the program, there is this um, notion of trying to problematize some of the taken for granted ideas and ideals around uh, physical activity and bodies and health and so on. Yeah, and it and it seems very different than what like the U.S. curriculum is or the U.S. approaches and and you know I've learned a lot from uh, Kirsten who. who explained a lot of that. I learned a lot from Dylan Landy, who was there and teaching for a while in the, in the university program. And, you know, he, he shared a lot of what the background of that curriculum is and how, how much more like socio-critical and, you know, um, I guess it's almost like it pushes you to reflect as a student teacher about how things are instead of just reproducing the norms. Um, would you say that that's accurate? Yes, very much so. And I was just sitting here thinking I've met up with a few, because I used to teach in the same program as, as Dylan did years ago, and I've recently met up with some of my old sort of teacher education students who who, who really, when they look back at their degree, they, they, they always come, they sort of um, articulate this frustration early on of, of having to problematize some of the things they've taken for granted their whole kind of PE, you know, um, school experiences. And so the initial period there of, of trying to really challenge some of those and their own conceptions around physical activity and bodies and health, it's quite a unsettling kind of time for them. But then as time moves on and, and, and more so once they've moved on from the degree and spend a few years teaching, that's when a lot of them kind of, they like they they really see the benefit, but you know. So this is sort of, yeah, it's uh, an interesting process, and it's kind of a long process too that, that carries on obviously into their actual teaching uh, career as well. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, we we did this paper, me and a couple of colleagues, where we sort of planting a seed or it's um, or sowing a seed uh, that has this critical orientation to uh, future practices. Yeah. yeah, and that that's the hope, I guess, in any program is that. You know, you're not going to change everything right when they're there, but to plant that seed and when they get that life experience and teaching experience that they can actually like go back in and remember all of those things that were kind of planted way back when. So, Absolutely. In, so in your paper, you talk about stereotypical expectations of boys' behavior and that those are reinforced in PE lessons. Can you kind of walk us through these concepts and how you found this to influence boys' experiences? Yeah, I think at the very uh, broad level, this this saying that's quite common, you know, boys will be boys, mm-hmm. uh, is, is one for me that, that that really translates or is sort of is, is enacted in lots of different ways in a space like PE. So there's, there's kind of expectations about 
some of the physicality, some of the aggression through some of the being competitive, uh, being uh, not really too emotional. So, so some of these sort of beliefs about what boys should be like, that they kind of um, in in anything you do in this PE space, you know, boys are kind of measured against that. Uh, so, so you can kind of see then also that it's. And we'll come to that later in terms of the Ficodian lens that I put on this. It's you can kind of see how boys really want to live up to that because that's what what people then give them status for. Like if if they if they live up to that, boys will be boys. Then then the whole sort of you know a lot of the time teachers and the the, the parents or the people around them, the surrounding, they they uh, reaffirm that position. Um, mm. Yeah, and. You know, speaking of Foucault, you, you discuss power in this paper a lot and you talk about the resistance and gender dynamics. So can you tell us more about this and the process of, you know, problematizing power relations in order to transform these, you know, deeply rooted dominant discourses of gender? Yes. Uh, and yeah, and this, that's one of the things I really try to do in this paper and, and something that I've found in my work with boys and still finding um, and girls but in the, in this particular paper it's you know it's, it's um how in the everyday in the everyday classroom space of pe for instance boys are always they are in one way more aware than you think but it's 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 a matter of um opening up a space for them uh, and i guess i provided them with that space in one sense when i was out doing this work with them they're always thinking about these issues, but it's it's a, it's a matter of you know. So, so, so if we uh, help them kind of unpack and talk about some of these things and 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 providing that space for them, so so in terms of the this sort of reproduction, obviously, if you, if you go to uh, Butler's work too, like this reproduction of gender is is happening there all the time. But at the same time, it's a it's a negotiated reproduction. So there's moments where you can actually intervene, and I guess that's where teachers and in my case, researcher come in and can do that work or help them do that work and understand that work. So, so I think they, they are uh, um, all the time questioning some of these things because uh, um, and, and, and some of the findings in my study too found that a lot of the boys actually, they want to change these practices, but, but they kind of either don't, they're too scared to or they don't get enough support from people around them or they don't think that other boys actually think like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that was that was really really interesting as well. And we'll get to the kind of last kind of conclusion that you had at the end of who actually could be a stronger player in reconstructing this 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 dynamic. But let's talk about the study in general. Can you just walk us through the methods in brief? Like, what was this study about? You um, you obviously conducted this in in New Zealand, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, so I spent. I decided to spend a year with two year 10 uh, boys PE classes um, at a school here in New Zealand. And uh, uh, yeah, so they were out 14, 15 years old. And uh, for the first little while, it was like for the first term, sort of 10 weeks nearly, I just spent a lot of time being with them in their classes. So I, uh, you know, I asked the teacher to, to come along and sort of be a participant and just you know, play volleyball or badminton or golf runs or whatever with them, just just to get to know them and sort of break the ice a little bit. And 
and then I slowly throughout the next, the following terms, you know, started um, doing some some more sort of detailed observations or you know taking down some field notes and I did a lot of recording to myself uh, to sort of um, yeah trying to see really what was going on in this space and then sort of followed up that by inviting the boys to do some recordings of their own PE lessons uh, as a way of sort of bringing them in into the research even more and based on both my recordings and their recordings we then um, and then sort of went through a series of uh, focus groups and individual interviews with them where, where they sort of went back and looked at some of that footage. And, and I had obviously prompts from the things that I've seen, both being involved with them in the lessons, but also watching from, from the sidelines. Uh, so, so it was sort of a way of, of really trying to get at what, what they <laughs> found important within their space with this sort of masculinity, gender uh, sort of focus. Now, were those those were video recordings that they were doing? Yes, yeah. And so did you lead with this idea or was it kind of hidden with your sense of you were looking at masculinity or gender or anything like that? Or was it just, I'm just here to kind of hang out and learn about you, but in, deep down you knew that you were looking for that masculinity. How did you kind of hide that or... Or yeah, so I, I um, and you know, as these things go with working with young people, but I um, I, I introduced the research early on and sort of gave gave them this sort of spiel around the, the masculinity focus and you know I want to know how what it's like to be a boy in your school in your PE, you know what are some of the things that you like doing and, and these sort of things, uh, but I also in terms of like the recordings, it was um, the instructions there more around uh, you know you trying to make sort of a documentary of your own PE, you know, what are some of the things that you want to highlight as part of your PE, you know, the good and the bad and everywhere in between kind of thing. Uh, so, so in terms of the videoing, it had more of that focus to, to let them kind of, yeah, uh, you know, sh show what they wanted to show in terms of their PE experiences. And I'm sure that those are fascinating videos to actually sit down and watch from, from that point of view, from... And how, how cool is a student in the study to be able to finally be able to say what you feel about? Because I'm, you know, I'm assuming that not a lot of students get to sit down and actually talk a lot about why they want to do PE, what they what they feel like document their own experience. So um, that's a great, great methodology for sure. Um, let me let me ask you this, you in the findings and discussion section you discuss the links made between certain sports. And in here, you, you had a lot of the students bring up rugby and masculinity. And one of the students talks about how playing rugby is seen as this way to prove that you're a man, which um, you know comes out in Pringle's work as well. Um, but at the same time, you, you have some, and I, I actually heard this a couple times of you know students saying, don't get me wrong, I love rugby, but you know, they were reinforcing these links. So can you tell us more about the understanding of the boys and what it what it is to be a man in their process of actively, you know, challenging the gender stereotypes? Yeah, I think it's uh, it sort of goes back to one of those early points I made around, you know, it's such a, and I guess it's a Foucauldian thing though, it's, it's, um, it's such an attractive thing or such a desirable thing, you know, in a, in a context of society like New Zealand where rugby has been you know the dominant national sport for a long time and, and in many ways it still is although things are changing a bit but 
and and this particular school too you know was was seen as one of the you know main sort of rugby schools uh, in in the area kind of thing and it's so i guess it's kind of like it's again the boys they see all the status that sort of you know that you get from being involved in this first 15 team uh you know so everyone's kind of measured against that you know so even if you're playing a different sport and then you're in the top team there, it's not quite the same thing as being in the first 15 um, f- for rugby. And, and But then, and, and I guess this is what one of my sort of, uh, uh, sort of original interests too, is that for me, this is boys also here who say, you know, don't get me wrong, I love rugby. It's sort of them showing an awareness that there's other things they possibly would want to pursue more or, or see equally as having a high status as rugby but it's you know they so they're trying to negotiate that you know they want to they want to play into the you know that dominant sort of um position that rugby holds uh but also want to say hey the, you know there's other things that other people could be doing that's equally important and, and worthy of praise but um, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that or not. Um, yeah, and that and, was uh, that was interesting yeah. because some of the students actually said that they went to the head of department to yes. talk to them and said, you know, they they were the quote unquote rugby boys, but they're like, I don't want to. We should play other games, and they wanted to negotiate that. Can you talk about what they said there and like what was their hope that they would actually learn in PE? Yes, so I mean, <clears throat> there was. There were moments that I spent with these boys that kind of, and I'm not sure if how much I enabled that, but I, I'd heard stories of this happening before where basically, you know, there was, you could almost call it that there was, there was a sort of a bullying going on almost, you know, that, that some, some boys were really being pushed to the sides and in a physical sense too. And, you know, in my thesis, I talk about too, like in, in, the, in the recess of break times, you know, the games they were playing, the rugby ball being thrown around, there was a lot of boys who ended up being, you know, um, you know, physically hurt and, and but also quite marginalised. So, so it was, so it was this growing kind of I think awareness or, or uh, again this critical reflection of some among some of these boys that happened to be in the sort of I guess in the high status group that that started to really say, hey, this is not okay anymore. You know, we, we need to go and talk to someone, uh, and you know, we we feel like the the fact that that rugby is so dominant is is causing some of these issues, you know. So they, I guess that's the the, the lens that I use in this paper around like they they took that first step. They kind of, you know, this um, they identified that there was an issue here. You know, this is not right. You know, what do we need to do about it? You know, okay, we need to go and talk to someone and say, can we can we make a change in terms of, you know, um, some of these practices and and so so it's not you know it doesn't. Um, enable this sort of, um, you know, marginalization or bullying to carry on kind of thing. Uh, so, so, yeah, so they, t- they took a lot of ownership in that process. And I think that's, again, comes back to this idea earlier I had about the everyday sort of practices that, you know, if you, if you open up the space for boys to be able to voice these concerns rather than just playing along and adhere to the boys will be boys, then I think we can see a lot more change uh, as well. Mm. And do you think that, that that courage that they had to go up and talk to the head of school or just the, even the awareness that they had that, hey, maybe rugby is this part of this problem, do you think that 
any of that comes from that type of curriculum that's enacted in New Zealand of having a socio-critical lens, talking about issues of social justice, inequities, and things like that? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. It was one of the enablers. And, and, and again, some of the teachers that, because when I was there, well, at that time, there was a little bit of shift in teachers too. So there's a few new teachers who came in who, who are probably a bit more attuned to the to the to some of these new back then new curriculum ideas, and you know, they, so they they were definitely part of uh, sort of opening up this space again. Um, yeah, which which hadn't been there before. You know, if you, at this particular school, if you if you went back a decade or two, you know, you would never go and question mm-hmm. the role and the the way rugby um, sort of um, helped sort of maintain these power relations between boys and i thought it was interesting because one of the ones the one of the things that you brought up was that one of the students said there was a student teacher that came in and did all this like adventure education kind of activities that they're like whoa this is really fun and enjoyable that it was actually a student teacher that kind of cracked the door open for people to think about or for students to think about it differently but that also didn't last right so they they went in at one of the you know one of the students got the teacher to kind of the head of school told the teachers or however it worked that they were going to change and they did a couple of those but then they kind of reverted back into playing more and more rugby so did that ever balance out throughout the year or did it kind of peak and then swing back to the norm yeah at this point in time it was definitely uh sort of a, a couple of one-offs kind of thing uh mm-hmm. you know where these student teachers came in and and i knew them from the teachers college too and um uh so so but yeah but so it was enough again to kind of trigger this kind of ah there's something out there and i, and I think for me my interest also in the whole gender masculinity research is that it's <laughs> I, I actually for me it's it's actually a it's both a diversity but also a social justice issue in terms of how through schooling or PE practices, we we kind of we we actually um, we we are not um, we're not allowing boys to to entertain the possibility of, of of being boys in lots of different ways. Like we and, and so, so some sport or some sort of PE practices they they help maintain again that limited notion of what it means to be a boy. Um, you know, so it's. So, so these teachers, student teachers came in through providing a different sort of content. They'd open up sort of new ideas of, you know, you can, you can still do this and you can have lots of fun together without, you know, some of the other things that normally goes on. But I guess one thing I want to say, which is really important here too, is that it's not that, it's, it's, it's not that rugby is the problem, really. It's, it's obviously how the likes of, you know, sports like rugby or other practices are kind of, constructed within the PE space so so you can definitely play rugby and there's nothing wrong with rugby per se but it's how rugby I guess is constructed and and how it's sort of um yeah how we do those rugby practices that are important so yeah right that's important and, to remember so yeah and there was a it's a lot of pressure for a student I when I read this that a student or a student group went up to the head of school to talk about this it's a lot of pressure for that student and it takes a lot of courage to be able to do that and challenge the structure as a, you know, as a teenager, early teenager. But 
do you think that the because some of some of them were also they were aware that there was some issue there were some students that were getting marginalized and you asked them well what what have you done or what are you going to do and they said well nothing really because you got to kind of play the game you can't step out because they fear that those rugby boys or those students who are very popular or carry a lot of you know social capital would then marginalize them if they speak up. So how much of this really falls on the PE teacher to be the person that challenges this and is aware so you're not make the PE teachers not expecting the students to break out of a really rigid system with the peer pressure that could happen in in those teenage years kind of pushing them down maybe. Yeah, I think I mean obviously the teacher is super important here in terms of um um, both obviously how, how how the teaching practice is sort of constructed, but also in in having that sort of dialogue with the students, and in this case the boys, you know, like, you know, trying to raise some of these ethical even or, you know, moral questions around, you know, how, how do we, you know, how, how do we behave, how should we behave through being involved in physical activity and sport and, and so on, you know, and then, you know, what, what's, you know, some of these sort of, personal social responsibility that goes with uh, being active and being involved in things and and going back to I think in this case too it was the boys who ended up going they had also older because I mean they're only 14 15 so they they were kind of in one way sort of junior at this school but they also had older brothers who were in this you know kind of leadership positions that they do at this school you know so so they had a few ins in terms of getting there as well you know so that they didn't risk too much by going there they they were sort of you know so in that way it's it's hard to try and work out you know yeah how can we enable again more these boys that don't have that sort of same status within the group peer group to or within the school for that matter to, to go and voice these concerns and, and i guess that then comes back to the teacher you know the teacher being really important there in doing that work and opening up those spaces again yeah absolutely so my last question is kind of looking forward so what what would pe look like if teachers actually did challenge the gender stereotype and created a space for critical engagement enjoyment and learning for students what what do you think that would look like or if you've seen it what does it look like in in one of the schools? Yeah, I think it's it's a always tough question, but I think what I've seen in places and um, you know I, I know a lot um, a lot of Walker Larson's work and that I've worked with uh, over the years. You know, it's it's a it's a sort of an everyday um, you know um, uh, everyday kind of. Uh, showing this or, or even being explicit about it too. I think that's sometimes a problem that we we need to make things a bit more explicit or actually bring it up and make the, the students in a very explicit way or boys aware that there are some of these, you know, they, like I said, they are aware that there are these sort of ideals or stereotypes, but but also making them aware that it's, that it's okay to, uh, uh, it's, it's okay to sort of... Um, be, be different <laughs> different versions of you so you know like being able to um uh to talk about talk about these issues and, and openly actually you know uh, say okay this you know 
I feel like I shouldn't be doing this just because I happen to be a boy or I'm meant to be become a man. Like, you know, so, I'm, you know, I don't feel happy doing this, but, you know, I just need some support from you, the teachers, so, you know, that, you know, we can try and do these things differently. And in having that conversation with boys um, uh, as part of any activity, you know, and, and again, rugby is not part of the problem, but it's maybe what the consequences that the, the consequences that rugby has for some boys that needs to be talked talked about uh, between teachers and boys and so on and and that it's and it happens in other sports too it's not just rugby so so i think it's it's that dialogue that that uh, openness and 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 you know awareness raising that's really important you know yeah and some of those ethical questions too you know like asking those ethical questions yeah and i think i think you're right on there it's we need to talk about it. We need to open up these spaces. And I think one of the problems that teachers will come up against, and, you know, specifically in the U.S., because that's the context I know is the best, is, you know, we have such a push for we need to get them physically active, right? So we need moderate to vigorous physical activity. The focus is on physical activity in a lot of schools. It's the, you know, Playsec 1984 busy happy good article all all like reproduced and you know it's about sitting down and actually you know like um Mikhail Quinnish that talks about you know putting the e back in pe and putting the education and think about all of the things that we can actually teach through physical education and and having that conversation of you know differentiating that because rugby is an aggressive sport and there's person-to-person contact or in my background wrestling is you know a very aggressive sport that is not necessarily the problem and you can differentiate those and you can behave in different ways and perform in different ways and those should be openly talked about and it's just how do we carve out that space and yeah how can we get that into that classroom yeah and i think uh just just um listen to you now like it's because a lot of that work was done early on in the and that was kind of like the starting point for my study so a lot of that work was done with girls you know like you know so we need to challenge these stereotypes because it means that you know girls are not being able to be active enough you know and, and in a lot of ways it's you know it's still a problem but i think we've we've spent less time talking about how how that's the same for some boys so like so but not in the same way. But it's it's um, how how a lot of boys end up being alienated from being active, physically active in any way, if it's sports or whatever, because of some of these stereotypes. So it's it's equally limiting for boys as it is for girls. Uh, so I think so. So that's important to remember this um, in this work we're doing too. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. And and I remember. I read this, I read your paper a while ago, and I think, you know, when I looked at it, it was 2017, but then it was published online earlier than that. So I think I had, I had read this in, in grad school, and I also read Amy Tischler's paper about, you know, boys' masculinities and PE not being for them. And, you know, it's something that I've always thought about of, you know, this would be an interesting study and to kind of explore this further in you know, I stumbled upon a lot more of your research. So I, I appreciate that. And I have some more reading to do. You've done some really interesting stuff in this field. So um, any any concluding thoughts or any um, anything that we've missed? 
Uh, well, I guess it's it's just uh, I guess fading forward a little bit. I mean, um, you know, st- still very much involved in in sort of thinking and researching these issues. And 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 from this particular paper, I guess what I took away is that, or this particular way of of looking at it is that there is again this opportunity for us in PE to 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 work through these issues and actually make a change um, w- with boys and for boys and 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 so on. So. So I think it's like we need to keep thinking more about, and that's sort of what I'm doing now. It's like, okay, what are what are some of the practices and and you know educational experiences, not just in PE, that that can lead to these sort of uh, what I'm calling now like more uh, socially just sort of masculinities to to be to be constructed and allowed uh, in PE and sports spaces, you know. So so listening and talking to boys, young men who have for for different reasons become these champions for change and, and are opening up those spaces for themselves and for others, you know. So that's what I'm really interested in understanding and developing further, those those sort of experiences that we can... Because I, I really believe that schooling and PE ca- can and should do a lot of that work. And I think so that there is that hope for change there. If, if we if we again maybe move away a little bit from, from looking at the problems too too much and instead looking at okay what what are some of the amazing work that's done both by the boys themselves and by by teachers uh, already mm. yeah and and i like that can and should and i and i would agree that schools can and should be doing this stuff and 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 we'll have you back on the podcast when you uh when you publish that paper so um i i really appreciate your time uh, i love the read i think it's a great dive into boys masculinities talking about gender stereotypes and also thinking about what the future can hold of what it could look like to challenge these structures so um we're going to link to the article in the notes uh you can see the full citation in there and that's all we have uh, thank you uh Yoran, for uh for coming on appreciate it Thank you very much, Risto. It's my pleasure. Take care. Awesome. Thanks. And thanks to Alba Rodriguez for her help in prepping this podcast. And thanks for listening.